What's up, guys? Welcome to The Narrative, hosted by me, Samantha Weaver, and my co-host, Asia Porter. What's up, guys? Welcome back. As always, we're happy that you're here. Last week, we had a really great conversation on white privilege with our friends Kieran and Jesse, and this week's topic is Greek life. But before we get into that, Samantha, do you have any thoughts or reflections about last week's episode? Yeah, so I was able to reflect on last week's episode. And to me, it's always kind of funny how things don't really hit you until much later. So first off, I just really appreciated just being in conversation with Karen and Jesse, because I was reminded about the importance and power of unity, despite our differences. I know people listening may say like, okay, duh, like that's obvious. But no, I really invite you guys to sit with that. I think it's so easy to make enemies or get filled with like unproductive anger during these times. So For me, I think it's just really important. You have to remember that you just have to be emotionally locked in and ready to do the hard work because it's not going to be easy. And honestly, I don't really know if it should. I don't think it should. I fully agree. I think we had a really great discussion. And so we really want you guys to go back. If you haven't already listened, check out episode one. We promise you're going to walk away with something. And at the very least, we want you to learn how to continue the conversation and continue to explore your own thoughts and viewpoints. So with that being said, let's get into this week. Yeah, so as previously mentioned, this episode is focusing on Greek life, which as you guys know, can encompass a whole lot of things. And we're going to try to unwrap as many of those things as we can, talk about it, see what's up. Just honestly let the conversation carry us. And to do that and to do that with us today, we have Caitlin, Gabby, and Brianna. Hi. <laughs> Welcome, guys. Thank you for being here for real, guys. Thank you. Um, all three of them are members of Sister of Color. Um, it's a club that creates an affinity space for women of color in Greek life. Um, so considering all of that, I thought that they would be great people to have on to share their experience and perspectives in and of Greek life. Yeah. So so I guess we just want to start and ask you guys, what influenced you guys to get involved with Greek life? And did you guys have any reservations about joining a club, joining this organization, considering it's a predominantly white space? Um, For me, I personally joined because I went to an all-girls school for a lot of my life, Um, and that was just a community that I felt was really empowering and was very important to me going into college, especially after first semester not really having that, like, similar community. Um, I definitely was very hesitant. I, like, thought a lot about it and, like, tried to do research into it. Um, Yeah, so I did have a lot of reservations going into it. Um, Yeah, I think I had a lot of reservations going in as well. Um, I didn't really know a ton of people in Greek life. And if I tried to explain Greek life to my Hispanic parents, like, good luck with that. Um, I decided to join after realizing that I had trouble kind of settling in at WashU. And over my winter break, I decided to, like, apply to transfer out of WashU. Um, And then after rushing and meeting you know, girls that I I feel like I never would have met before, it gave me more reason to stay and like reconsider. So that's at least a positive that I took out of it. I think for me, uh, my first semester, I was really good friends with my roommate, um, but I didn't necessarily like branch out and meet a lot of different people. And so I think that my, I guess you could say older mentors or people on campus that I knew were um, kind of saying that Greek life was an opportunity to just meet people. Um, and I think my first thought to that to that was the hesitancy just because I knew that that was going to be a predominantly white space and 
I went to a predominantly white high school. So I was like, why would I put myself in that kind of space again? Um, but I think because I was also kind of like unsteady about my beginning at WashU, I thought that well, I might as well make friends and then make that opinion and see if there are other girls like me in it. I think, Brianna, I really resonate with you because I also went to a very white high school. Um, and so, like, I thought of that same thing when I looked at Greek life, be just because I know that my, like, growing up in the hometown that I did, like, for me, that was just a negative experience and I just didn't enjoy being in that space. And so, I think it's interesting hearing your story and, like, hearing that you considered the same things that I did, but I obviously ended up choosing not to rush and then you decided to go ahead and go forward go forth with that go ahead and <laughs> go ahead and go forth yeah <laughs> I think Asia and I we talked about this before obviously because Greek life it is kind of like a decision you have to make for yourself coming into school um her and I kind of share like the same sentiments on like why we didn't decide to rush um but we heard your reason so like now that you're in Greek life and I believe everybody here is at least like junior, senior. Um, they've spent some time in there. How would you describe what it's like to be a minority in Greek life? Like, is there anything that just stands out to you? I have like a really weird example. But so my entire lineage, which is my, my big, my grand big, and a lot of other people higher in my family. Um, well, I have two bigs, so there's two different families. But in one of them, it's all women of color. And so I think I had a really different experience because I almost like found women that I didn't expect to find very quickly. And so I think one thing that we all kind of talk about as like a shared experience as then being a minority in a predominantly white space is that like there is a constant like, I guess you could say like duty upon you that you feel to like, you know, be the one to call out and to start clubs like Sisters of Color and to almost make it like better for everyone around you. Like I think there was this like weird undue burden that a lot of people within my family felt. And so when I decided to leave Greek life, like recently, all of them were proud of me because they didn't do it themselves, but they all thought about it. I kind of want to follow up. But I mean, any of y'all can answer this because I was reading on the, like the Instagram page, abolish, WashU, WPA, and IFC page. Um, and it had a, an anecdote similar to what you just described, Brianna, about how sometimes they'll pair. I mean, I don't know. I don't make a big generalization and say that this is all Greek life or mm -hmm. just this specific one, but how they'll sometimes pair women of color with each other in terms of like bigs and littles and for that lineage. And so I guess what I wa wanted to know is like, do you feel like then? Like, cause I know you said sisters of color, you want to create the, these affinity spaces. So do you feel like they happen organically or do you feel like they're almost constructed through like forcibly pairing sisters of color with other sisters of color? And like, if you feel like that happens, that is a pattern. Like, what are your thoughts on them going out of their ways to pair racial minorities with each other? Um, really quickly off that, I think one thing I can speak to that I, I remember pretty well is that you know, it's kind of more like who I leaned to. So I guess that at the same time, I kind of leaned towards both my bigs who are both women of color because I felt so close to them. Um, but then also reading other posts where they talked about how they rushed girls 
with other black girls or girls that look like them in other sororities, that was something that's very clear during the beginning when you are like, when I was a black woman, I was only being rushed by like the two black women in the room. Like that's something that I noticed as well. Before we move on to any other questions, did any of you guys want to share some information? Going back to what I said, what it's like to be a minority in Greek life, any other perspectives you want to throw out there? Um, One thing is, I think, I feel like for me, this has been like so long standing just because like my high school is also predominantly white and I went there since like fourth grade. Um, And so I feel like ever since then, I really had to just kind of erase some of my culture and like, I forget what the word, but like, yeah, just like kind of remove myself from that black culture and become more white in a predominantly white space. Um, And I think that's a similar experience in Greek life. And I've talked a lot about this a lot to a lot of other people of minorities um in greek life and it's been like a common theme so i guess it just has something to do with like the predominantly white space what stood out to me about like what you just said was how you're saying you feel somewhat like you have to conform i don't know if you said like that exact word like you almost have to side to or you have to conform to the white space and that's that's pretty interesting to me i remember something when i was looking at your guys um, instagram page sisters of color i saw like this video where somebody was like touching their hair or whatever so it's almost like you know the person you know they obviously looked pretty upset but they didn't really have they couldn't say much right like they just had to go with the flow are those things that you guys have personally experienced or witnessed not only like the touching of the hair but also things like the common themes in greek life that you see like tokenism colorblindness versus racism you know not covert but you know kind of under the table are those things that you've witnessed or experienced Um, I think for me, within, oh, sorry. I thought I heard myself. Okay. Um, but I think for me, um, when we originally made the like touching of the hair video, that's not really anything I've experienced in Greek life, just like in life. Um, mm-hmm. and I mean, I'm sure there are people at Wash U that do that kind of thing. So we just wanted to make that clear to the entire like community and like our Instagram followers. Um, but I definitely think like, little microaggressions here and there do happen in Greek life, just like everywhere, unfortunately, in the US. Um, I'm trying to think of like specific experiences. I feel like every time I straighten my hair or do something different, everyone's like, oh my gosh, wow, you really like did yourself up. And I'm like, I look so so let's not even talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Did you guys have any other comments about that? Or did you like share her sentiment? I, think, I completely agree. Yeah, I think it's really on like a teeny tiny level, but it kind of like gets to you. I think something that rubs me the wrong way about like, I guess the people in Greek life when this happens is that when it comes to Latino people or Hispanic people, they don't really understand the differences across cultures. So I think I've been thrown into like the like white bucket by a lot of people. And it's like, no, that's not how I grew up. That's not where I'm from. That's like, you know, if things were different, like my parents would still be in Cuba. So I think that insensitivity, just based on perception, like what people are used to seeing, what they identify as Hispanic and how they validate or invalidate your identity based on what they're used to seeing. I feel like that's something I had to get familiar with when I was like completely immune to that at home when everyone else 
you know, was Cuban, was Hispanic, was Puerto Rican, things like that. So when you talk about people like getting used to it and becoming accustomed to it, part of that is just like the education part. But then I think a core part that, you know, you don't have to be educated about everything. The first thing you need to do is just like recognize somebody's humanity, like referencing the hair touching video. Like that is inappropriate, right? Across for and, you know, for anyone, right? So, but so you recognize that first, but then the also education part, which I believe is something that you guys um, do through Sisters of Color. Can you guys explain some of that? Um, I know you guys said you facilitate a lot of discussions. Can you fill us in on what you do? Um, so one thing we did, um, I think it was last year or maybe two years ago uh, before recruitment, we got a lot of requests to come in and like give facilitations to different chapters. And we ended up going to five, five different chapters. It was me and the um, former president. Um, and we just kind of gave like advice about how to treat people during recruitment and treat minorities specifically. Um, and just kind of covered a lot of the different microaggressions or like things that could come up in conversation that have to do with race, sexuality, uh, socioeconomic status. Um, and just tried to get that to be a part of um, Greek life training just because we'd never had something like that before. Um, and so now, because I was WPA VP Diversity and Inclusion last year. And so now we put into the bylaws that that's something that happens every year. So now it's not on the like, the back of sisters of color to do it because we're also going through and like mm-hmm. rushing people and so it's like really hectic for us to go through all those facilitations and also go through recruitment with our own chapters so it's helpful now that like an actual staff person runs that and that it's become something so that's definitely a step forward but I definitely think there needs to be more steps forward to help facilitate that more. Something else we've done in the past is Greek life in the margins, which is like a town hall where we literally invited everyone to come and ask any questions, learn from people of lower socioeconomic status, different backgrounds. Um, And I think it was interesting to see like the kinds of people that came and like how many people came versus what we were expecting. Um, But that was like one of our more like open meetings when like we have internal meetings that are more closed to like preserve that like safety. So I just wanted to get some clarification um, on what you said, Gabby, because I know you mentioned like expected attendance versus like what you actually got. Like, where did you get more attendance than what you were anticipating? Less, um, and just kind of like not to call the frats out, but also like how have you seen? Because obviously you guys are working specifically with sororities, and so have you guys seen any allyship? or involvement from fraternities and from the IFC? So I think for that event, we actually did have one fraternity man attend, I think. Um, But we were positively, like, surprised by that. And we thought that that was, like, you know, a baby step, but a step forward at the very least. Um, I think that while we regarded that event as pretty successful, it still takes a lot of, like, marketing and a lot of, like, telling people in advance, reaching out individually to get people to come. Whereas I feel like, you know, people display that they care about these issues, but translating that to action sometimes isn't always, you know, what we see. Yeah. And I just want to quickly go off of that because I feel like every, because usually our GVMs, general body meetings, 
are for sisters of color. Um, and so then we get people messaging us that are white saying, oh, we want to like be a part of these conversations. And then when we have those open discussions, where are you, you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. where we need to meet in the middle here so that we are all like engaged in the conversation and you're actually following through. Yeah, and I yes. know- Oh, you go you for it, Samantha. Yeah, you go for it. You might, did you want to add something to hers? Cause I was going to try to- No, yeah, you go okay. for it. I find it, okay, so you guys are saying you have this club, you're holding these meetings, you're talking to people and you're still not getting the turnout. And uh, to me, that's an approach that's done from, you know, the inside of Greek life. Cause you guys are all, or at one point we're all members and you were working really hard in this club um, to try to bring more awareness to what it's like to be like a person of color in Greek life. So at this point, do you believe that change can be made from the inside? And if you, you know, just what do you think of that? And if you switch, switched your mind on this, which I know Brianna, she's gonna be like, yeah, I totally like opted out. Um, what gave you like that initial belief and in that change could be made from the inside? I think that's a hard question for me because my mind changes so often. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of people feel this way, um, especially women of color, because you do wanna believe that there's hope and that like the system can be reformed. But it also feels like, okay, well, are, are people only caring now because of the climate of the U.S. and because they have to care or else they're going to be labeled as, like, a racist person? And then what does that mean for them outside of, you know, just Greek life and just life if everyone labels you as a racist? Um, and so it's it's definitely hard for me to distinguish those. Um, yeah, so I go back and forth between abolition and, and reform a lot personally yeah I think I also find myself flipping back and forth and if anything is kind of swaying me one way or another it's that I've been on exec in my chapter and I've seen you know like the way changes can be adopted and I feel like I've tried to push reforms across a bunch of different issues and if I push 10 maybe you know, eight got denied and only two went through and there was like a barrier to entry. However, I feel reassured knowing that like I as one person was able to make an impactful change in those ways. However, I'm skeptical of whether the momentum behind this will sustain us enough to get those other eight ideas pushed through and get those reforms done. I think a lot of times people are more comfortable with you know, how they're used to knowing things and recognizing things and like what Greek life was before. And either way, it has to be drastically different, I think. And, you know, being pro-reform, like you're like being pro-reform, you can't do that if you expect like nothing to change. Like I feel like a lot of people that aren't exactly pro-abolition because they want to maintain their social life are falling into that pro-reform bucket and like they have no place there because this space is like only for people that are committed I think like myself to literally putting reputation on the line to make these changes and push and push and push until they get done. I think piggybacking like right off of that my initial like ideas behind you know doing the change from within was that I think I was very optimistic that my just like physical physically being there would impact the system itself and then doing the work and the changes from within would be impactful 
but I think even from within my chapter, the willingness to go to like the general body meetings or the um, full town halls where anyone can join, like it was such a push to even get people to take the time out of their like meetings or like homework time, like just to do that. And so I think what I've come to is the realization that like it's almost putting so many eggs in everyone's baskets that you don't necessarily know will put in the work for that necessary radical change. So it's more so like no longer, in my opinion, like a inside job. So my follow up with that and what a lot of people are saying is um, how can you fix something that was founded on like exclusion? Do you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of the problems, not only racism in Greek life, um, but things with like elitism. And it seems that um, there's a lot of like homophobia in Greek life. Like, what is your answer to that? That people say, no, it can't be fixed because it was based on such exclusionary principles. I think that's, I've heard a lot of people who actually are on both sides of it, like pro-reform or, you know, pro-abolition. I think that that mentality kind of goes to the idea of like, why not imagine something that's completely different that is something for WashU students who may be craving that just like social like avenue in their life. Like I know a lot, like everyone works very hard. So I think it's very human to want to just meet people. But I think that there can be such a better reimagined way to like have this group of people who just have common interests. Like, I don't think it needs to be exclusionary. It should be open to everyone, every identity. And like, and for anyone who can just like want to join, I think that's where I've heard a lot of people that want it to just completely go away, talk about how it should just be reimagined. Yeah, I think something that I've like found especially problematic is how when I look at other schools versus Wash U, I think I've like I definitely felt that I had to join Greek life to have a social life. And it seems like Wash U doesn't create an environment where people can still have a social life, still go out, you know, like Brianna said, like we work so hard and I feel like it's not it's like naive to think that there's no work hard, play hard situation there. Um and the fact that I had to join an organization to feel like I had access to that is something that I feel like isn't the case at other schools. Like you can have a social life without Greek life, but I think that our university has tried especially hard to push all liability for social events away from the Wash U name and onto these national names that it's created like in my years at WashU, like I'm a senior now and I've seen the way, you know, party lists have been limited, the amounts of events you can have have been limited and the way that WashU's kind of forced our hands in some ways to make things even more exclusive than they already were. So I feel like identifying the university's role in that is a key part of understanding how we even got here when things were less exclusive when I was a freshman. Um. Yeah, Caitlin, did you want to speak to that? I just want to echo like everything that they both said. I think there's kind of like, it feels like there's this power trip in joining a Greek organization of like, I can get into these parties and you can't kind of dynamic, which is very toxic. Um, and just like, I don't know, it feels like some people who I know aren't as like actively social justice as some people in the chapter are 
now becoming socially active because they want to keep going to parties, keep getting invited to formals and that sort of stuff because they want to keep that social life alive. And I think that's why I go so much back and forth between reform and abolition is because I just don't know if it's genuine, um, which yeah. is very sad. <laughs> yeah, like I guess what I wanted like to kind of explore more or ask is, you know, if, if why people are drawn to Greek life is this sisterhood and this sense of community and like um, this element of just having like a social life, like those aren't things that should be inherently, like you shouldn't need Greek life and like that structure to have those things, to have community, to have a social life, to be able to go to parties, things like that. And so if that, and I hear when I ask people why they join Greek life, a lot of times it, it is those things, which I mean, great. Like that's a nice answer. We all love to have fun. Right. Yeah. That's a nice answer. But like, why do you feel like you need to join Greek life to have that? And then also um, what it makes me wonder then, is it really just that? Like, are you really just wanting sisterhood? Are you really just wanting community? Or do you want that power? Do you want that sort of like exclusionary do you know what I mean? Like, do you want to be a part of like that in crowd that isn't attainable by everybody? And so, yeah, I mean, I don't even know if there's really a question in that. Just like, if you guys could, like, if you guys wanted to speak more to that, like, I feel like that's interesting that a lot of people justify them joining Greek life by saying they want community. And I'm like, well, you don't need to join Greek life to have a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's part of what Caitlin was talking about also in terms of like, having this be really difficult time as well because of the genuine aspect of it like I think I haven't heard a lot of people having like the self-reflection like I know I've talked to like a lot of people both inside outside of Greek life just having like talking about my personal introspection introspection and how like I think that by joining freshman year like that actually was a negative thing that I did to try to get friends in a like almost a band-aid way like I basically just like used it as a crutch where I wasn't making my own community. The community was like made for me, which I think is like something that I've found to be a driving force of why I think that like, I now want to like talk to anyone in my sorority, like that maybe wants to leave or doesn't want to leave and have an open conversation. Cause I think it is really hard to like find the, like your own feelings within this. But I think it's really important to do that reflection about like, maybe you did have a like, you're using it as a crutch and that was a negative thing that you did. And I think that that's something that people should have that like reflection with themselves. Yeah. I think joining Greek life just feels so easy for a lot of people if they are searching for that community, just because it's like Brianna said, it's a forced community that you're joining and you automatically have all these like sisters. Um, And but I do think a lot of people join just for like the social kind of hierarchy aspect of it. Um, but I feel like the community aspect is a way to just kind of cover that up and be like, we just love sisterhood. Um, yeah, I want to ask you, Gabby, and you, Caitlin, um, just because you all still seem to be on the fence about like committing to reform or you guys have are optimistic about reforming what do you think that that would look like and what and I don't know if you can name like specific initiatives or like specific ways of reforming the rush process 
Like, how do you see, like, what steps would you take from here? So personally, I believe that reform and abolition are kind of go hand in hand, and that sounds contradictory, so I'll explain. But I think that if a chapter commits to reforming, they have to have these set like initiatives and set goals laid out. And if they ever fail to meet them at any point, or if they set like a designated date, like, okay, so when our freshman class becomes juniors or something like that, if these initiatives are not successful, and if these changes don't actually happen, like, we will stop recruiting, like, we will stop, you know, bringing that up, like abolition being an end goal to reform is kind of like how I see reform. And then personally, when I view abolition, um, I see it as something that we need to achieve at the beginning and have like a unified concerted effort to make happen, but then follow that up with reforms that will change the social landscape at WashU and make it more equitable. So, cause right now we have an unnatural system that's allowing people to have social lives and friends. And mm-hmm. I want to make sure that the void that removing Greek life creates will not give way to another system, but rather a campus where people can naturally socialize, naturally make friends, you know, like not feel like they have to be in a certain location and time and place to have fun on a Friday night or something like that. And I feel like the two go hand in hand in my eyes. And that sounds like counterintuitive, but I honestly feel like you can't have one successfully without the other. Interesting. So like for you, um like Greek life is that social space where people would get together but you're saying that that space itself should be reformed um maybe including a, maybe making it a more inclusive environment definitely making so, it a more, okay. yeah 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 <laughs> definitely yeah I'm just trying to understand what you're saying I guess where I'm getting confused is like I think that's what a lot of people or at least that's how I view like people when they say they want to abolish Greek life because it will, like, Greek life is that barrier that's separating people from really getting to know maybe people that aren't like themselves on campus. Um, so they're saying, like, if we abolish that, it will automatically make it more inclusive. You you will be forced to go outside of maybe a circle that's comfortable to you. Do you kind of get, like, that point, too? Yeah. Or do you think, like... No, I definitely... I get that, but I think that you have to kind of reform the way social things happen at WashU because I think that as a dry campus or what we could describe as a moist campus where like you have to show ID before you get yeah, keep laughing. I know. I like that. Y'all <laughs> are like y'all are twelve. I swear. It's not that funny. That. It's okay, not so- that funny. <laughs> A dry campus isn't allowed to have alcohol, but we have spaces like Ibby's, um, or I guess, like... Ibby's. Yeah, Ibby's <laughs> are like the social programming board happy hour stuff, mm-hmm. or, or like Wild, for example, where like you can yeah. have alcohol if you know an ID. And I think that that isn't... I feel like that creates an environment where like WashU tries to get a lock on like where social things happen and when they happen. So like how convenient is it to have it all on frat row where they can regulate it and shut it down and like Blue PD can like patrol there, you know? So I feel like 
the university has to kind of budge in that sense and allow people to socialize the way that they normally would without fear of getting in trouble if they don't have an organization to defend them, like a Greek chapter's name, you know? I'm just saying that, like, if abolition happens, and I think that we have a good chance at making it happen, and I hope that that's something that, like, Washi strongly considers, I think that we need to follow that up with steps that'll make a long-lasting change. No, I fall. Because if you just outrightly ban Greek life, then, like you said, like, there's I mean, I'm not going to say like, oh, there's like going to be this new Greek life system, quote unquote, that forms. But yeah, your access to different social events, parties, alcohol would be limited to other organizations, other like very controlled spaces. I think it was interesting how you said the university has a huge role to play in this um, and how they foster that environment. I know you already know being in admissions, um, we already our our uh, social economic climate is not where it needs to be um we're getting a lot of people obviously from a higher income bracket um and there's not a lot of diversity so it's you know maybe that's playing into greek life as well and those are things that we should consider um for brianna you decided to opt out can you share with us kind of like your process and thinking because obviously this couldn't have been an easy decision you said you got into it freshman year you've obviously met a lot of people um what was your thinking process and kind of where are you at now with that? Yeah, so I think, weirdly enough, me and my little that I had just gotten in the, in the fall, had just met, you know, all that stuff. We were mm-hmm. talking about how, um, you know, it's starting to become, or I guess this was earlier in the summer. So it was starting to almost not make sense for, you know, this involvement to be something that I keep going with, even though I've been having doubts about it. So I think talking to um, other people in my chapter that were having like similar thoughts, especially with the climate right now, and especially with a lot of like, I think that I'm just starting to realize a lot of more, a lot more things that were negatively similar to my high school experience. So like, I started to reflect on the fact that like, you know, I started straightening my hair when I was like, seven because girls would touch my hair girls would say things and my mom took me home and like straightened it and that's how she handled it and I think that like coming to school I've now started to like wear my hair curly and try to like you know learn that process and learn myself more and I think joining a sorority kind of put me back into that which Mm -hmm. is really harmful for me so I started to like think during quarantine like is this really something I should stay with Um, And so that kind of got the ball rolling. And then I think a big thing for me was also um, just the conversations that happened around the Kayo, like, uh, post. Yeah, incident, yeah. Yeah, and I think that something that really, like, struck a chord with with me specifically was that the idea of accountability across chapters is also really important because you're then putting, um, you know, women of color in – every sorority in an impossible position to not know that someone has those beliefs and has said those things. And I think that's really violent and really not something that I want to like, even though it's not my chapter, like I don't want to necessarily like stand with the full community that is going Mm -hmm. to shut that down. So I think it wasn't necessarily like the end all be all post that, you know, just tipped me over the edge. But I think that that was something that was like the, the, 
almost like cap on the end of all the. Th- it didn't hurt. Th- yeah. It, it 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 definitely changed. I guess my final opinion, and then I think I talked to people in my family, and they all were very supportive, and you know said nothing would change, and then we I did it. I guess I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I wanted to ask, and I feel like this also may get back to what Gabby was saying earlier about there needing to be reform even after abolition, but is there any degree of accountability for people who, or like for people who are leaving Greek life now or organi- or like sorties that are disbanding? I don't know if that's the correct word, but disbanding. Um, because at the end of the day, like it's not just, oh, like Greek life was this like racist, classist institution. Now we've disbanded it. We've all left like, that didn't like happen unless it's a clean. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like there should still at the end of the day, like it's still was a system that perpetuated inequality and discrimination. And so is there any level of accountability and what would that look like for people and for organizations who did join but now have left? Or that continue to stay in it. Or yeah. continue to stay in it. Yeah. Like, and what what would that accountability look like? Just so that it's not just like a clean slate once you right. leave. Yeah. I not mean, for I anybody. Think, <laughs> I think just, I'll say really quickly, but I think that like one thing is that the first thing I think is 100% personal accountability, just like holding yourself to the truth of like what you were a part of. And acknowledging that and never shying away from that and then also learning from it. Um, And then I think also, I guess, working with whatever you think is the next step. So like, personally, we'll be working with and putting all of my possible energy I can into everything that has to do with getting Greek life, I guess, off of WashU's campus and personally with the chapter, like making, helping, you know, people solidify their thoughts. But I think the first thing is definitely like personal accountability, like just Mm -hmm. being really open about it. Yeah, um, Caitlin and I talked about this before Kyle's response, before that even went down. And we were talking about how, so the idea of like abolition, I don't think was as prevalent. Um, And we were looking at, okay, what change can we make immediately? So we talked to Maria from WPA, who's the diversity and inclusion chair. And we said, can you write a bylaw that allows an SOC standards chair like internal standards chair to come in whenever issues like this come up because I don't think right now we're at the point where we can trust chapters to handle everything internally if an issue like this does arise so we thought that having like an unbiased like person who's been trained in all things like anti-racism diversity and inclusion with a focus on transformative justice like can they go into a chapter and sit there and watch the standards proceeding and like participate in it actively so that it's enforced across all chapters? And that was something, that was a change that we were actually able to make pretty quickly before this stuff went down. And I honestly don't know how I feel about it now, but I feel like you can hold members more accountable on more than a personal level when they're, they're part of an organization and they have a set of values to uphold and now I'm completely lost on how can we make those changes and and mitigate these issues now that there's no you know like what what grounds do we have to step in and you know tackle that together 
Yeah, I think Gabby said it really well. I think if, like, these organizations decide to reform um, and versus abolition, I think, like, creating a, like, very serious, like, level of accountability for all of their members where things aren't just going to be swept under the rug because they don't want their reputation to, you know, go downhill is really important. Um, uh, I don't know what if there is a level of accountability for anyone that deactivates since you're no longer a part of the organization. Um, but yeah, if if chapters do decide to reform, I think a major thing is having that level of accountability for every single chapter member. Like a no yeah. tolerance policy integrated across WPA and IFC. But also I recognize that like, I don't know how possible that is anymore or like if that's even the direction that we're going in, but based on like the limitations that Greek organizations face as national chapters and as WashU chapters, we're obviously going to have to present both options and that has to be part of it if we have to fall back onto reform, if abolition doesn't work. I'm hoping that it does, but. Yeah, so with that, you guys wanted to have somebody in there. I think not only like, would it be helpful? I like your idea, but I think something else that might be helpful is like, okay, this is a predominantly white space. What can be done during recruitment? What can be done to appeal to um, people of color? Um, of course, it's not only about getting them in, but also creating that inclusive environment. Yes, we're learning, but what do we talk to other members about or what kind of idea do we continue to push um, onto members trying to make this more inclusive? Like, I understand, you know, there's always that personal accountability, um, but what can the, what can Greek life do to make sure that it's pushing its members in the right direction? And, and the question about recruitment, how can we get more people of color into these spaces? I do think it will be pretty hard at this point, but what is that approach? Do you have any ideas on that? I think it's really hard. I was talking to someone about this, um, in terms of like getting people of color in Greek life to begin with, because there is such a heavy stereotype against Greek life in a lot of minority communities. Um, and that's something that like I personally faced when deciding to rush was just like, I remember a lot of my black friends at Washington being like, oh my God, you're doing that. Like you can't be friends with us, like all this stuff. And it was just really awkward for me to like balance those two. Um, and so I definitely think that that's a barrier because of all the stereotypes that come with Greek life organizations. Um, but I definitely think like Greek life has a role to play to like fix those stereotypes in a way. Like obviously those stereotypes are there for a reason because Greek life was founded on those principles and it hasn't been open as open to minorities as it should be. Um, but I just think that's like the, like the major question is like, how do we get this to be a space where those stereotypes no longer exist and where people of color do feel comfortable if that space continues to exist. I think another thing is also focusing on, in addition to like diversity across racial minorities, across socioeconomic status as well. And I feel like that's mm -hmm. one of the biggest problems of Greek life, especially at WashU, where it's already a ton of money to attend. Um, and I think that chapters are so behind the ball in having like an equity fund to help members pay dues and things like that. Like you have to understand that even if you recruit diverse girls, diversity is nothing without inclusion right. and you have to maintain them there. And I've seen 
so many people have to deactivate or have to put an extra burden on themselves as a student in order to cover these expenses. When we have the flexibility, we just need the change to happen in chapters to establish an equity fund where you can help women stay in the chapter and not, you know, if they're if they're enjoying their experience, I feel like this is something that is should have happened a long time ago and something that I've personally tried to push for. But if women are enjoying their experience, who are you to deny them that experience just because someone can't like cover their dues, you know? Mm-hmm. No, that's that's yeah. what I was going to say. Like it, I feel like it goes beyond just getting people of color in there because mm-hmm. even if you got people of color in there, you might not be able to get them to stay from the standpoint of financials, yeah. but then also like, I mean, based off what Brianna was saying, like, that's not related to financials. That's just personal experience and, like, how you feel and, like, 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 you know what I mean? Like, being thrown into a white space. Exactly. And um, kind of, like, suppressing yourself. Too. Yeah, and suppressing yourself. So it's not just, like, being able to pay for it. It's not just being able to get in. But it's also feeling valued once you're in there. It's being mm-hmm. heard once you're in there. You, you being uplifted and, like, you being in spaces where you can be on exec and make changes and feel like you have freedom um, and value within the organization. So I feel like it's just, it goes so far beyond like, okay, let's get black people and let's get Asians, let's get Latinas, like let's get, let's get them in here and then the problem solved. Like it's not a diversity yeah. quota. It's so many yeah. more steps than yeah. that. And so, I mean, that's a, that would be a great thing for it to become more diverse, but I don't know that that, that alone, or I don't think that that alone would even begin to solve the issue and how to even sustain it across chapters mm-hmm. exactly yeah. um i also that- oh. oh sorry caitlin no you go for it oh i, I was, was gonna, gonna change the conversation. that's one thing that like my chapter has been having a lot of conversations about we had like a meeting before i came to this actually um with our council um where we were saying like a lot of people view like they see i don't know how to say what i'm trying to say but they think it's, they look at just the numbers and say, oh, we have like six people of color in the chapter, this like pledge class. And then next semester, oh, it's 10. Good job. Like we did it. But it needs to go, <laughs> obviously. But I feel like because if you're just like looking around and like white people are seeing diverse spaces, it's like, oh, pat on the back. Like we achieved what we're trying to achieve. But it, it needs to go beyond that. Um, I also want to, this is kind of off topic, but also still on the same page. I feel like a lot of, I mean, I feel like we're saying like, we're talking about Greek life, but when I personally look at who's speaking up and when I personally look at who's actually saying that, whether it's genuine or not, the people who are saying that they're committed to reform or abolition, they're all women. Like I, I'm maybe I'm just not in the right circles. But I just right don't, like maybe I'm just not in the right circles. Yeah, I don't know. Not maybe. But I personally have yet to see a single a single fraternity brother mention this, and so yeah. like publicly, we could, I'll say that yeah. I talked to somebody privately, but publicly, okay, it is not awesome. Been out there. I have not even heard <laughs> privately, so shout out to that one. Um, <laughs> but. Like, even if we do all this work, I mean, again, I know we're saying Greek life, but even if we do all this reform to sororities, fraternities are still there. And is there somebody who, because WPA is just sororities. So is there an organization or is there a way to force 
fraternities to also implement these changes because if not then what is what does this do right so i think those are my biggest fears when it comes to getting this right um and it's not going to be an easy easy process either way it's going to be like a labor of love that we really have to commit to entirely and like you said a lot of the people committed to it are women and people who that like we're committed to this even before things became an Instagram page while they were at home during coronavirus, you know, with nothing Mm -hmm. else to focus on. So I feel like we really need a genuine concerted effort in order to achieve this either way. And that's something that I begin to lose faith in um, as I look at who's speaking, like you said. And I think it would be so counterproductive if or not counterproductive because I think it will make an impact in a positive way if you could unite the women in WPA to make this change and make this difference whether it's reform or abolition but then I feel like it's a whole new battle to get fraternity men involved and behind this because I feel like right now most people feel like their way of life is like under attack and it's like Mm -hmm. they're missing the point wait say that again (laughs) you're missing the point and i think that it's yeah it's like you the point and no one can see me sorry um (laughs) (laughs) and i think that my one of my biggest fears with this is that you know women don't have a a stake in the social space that WashU allows, you know, it's truly fraternity basements. Right. So we do all of this and that continues. Like we need to make sure this is a concerted effort, that it's unified, that it's united and that um, it's like widely supported or else I, I don't see how either like it's going to happen. I think off of what Gabby just said also, the idea that like when we go back to school, if we do also, I don't know. But- no. <laughs> We must. We must. Sorry, we are going back. Um, we are going back. I think one thing that's really interesting is people who have the time to even maybe talk privately about this or think about it and like talk to their fraternity brothers. Like they will not be putting in the same work. I can guarantee when we all go back. And I think that's something that like as like we were all on exec for our sisters of color. Like. We went. I think every single girl who was assigned to go to a fraternity and tell them we were having this like huge like um what the town not town, town hall. hall it's like town hall um the town hall we like I, that one man going and taking extensive notes like that's awesome but like I know that there was other people who could have gone and like the fraternities knew about it and like know that we are there and it's just kind of hard to like believe that even though they hold all the power of, like, the social scene because of their physical houses. Like, like their location. I, yeah, and I think the only way that the fraternities will start to care is if the school starts to threaten them with some type of, you know, overarching regulations or just saying that their houses, the houses will be relinquished, which I think would then take them out of their comfortable, you know, places of power in some sense. Yeah, something I have trouble with is that um, anyone that lives in a house obviously that's their housing assignment for the next year so it's like oh how quickly can we implement this like what are the steps like what like someone tell me what how to go about that because 
we can't lose the momentum of this and wait a year, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, if, like, my, another fear of mine is that, I'm scared. <laughs> another fear of mine. <laughs> I have a lot of fear. I, I'm literally <laughs> terrified. But another fear of mine is that we go back to school, don't have a social life for the fall because coronavirus. Let's say that things are better and we're in a better place spring semester, maybe a vaccine by that point. I don't even know anymore. Mm-hmm. But are people just going to like allow the excitement of potentially having their social life back after a semester and a half kind of like step over all of this that we've been talking about? Like there has to be a foundation laid there especially if these contracts for housing are valid for the next year, you know, like that's something that's a real obstacle that we have to get comfortable with facing because it's there and it's not moving. A lot of personal accountability at play. I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Um, Yes, the university must do something, I think, but it's also, you know, this is run by students. This is Greek life. So I think, you know, it's some internalizing is way overdue, but now is the time to do it. You have a lot of time to do it. Before we end this conversation, we kind of wanted to open the floor for any final thoughts. Doesn't have to be exactly on topic, just anything that may come to your head or anything that you wanted to say that you felt like wasn't said before. If anything, I would just say like, SOC has been talking about these things for a really long time. Um, mm-hmm. since its founding chapter, which like my big was a part of and then like got me involved in. And people act surprised when they see the things on Black at Wash U and when they hear the experiences that POC have in Greek life. And it's like, who are you listening to? Like, who are you paying attention to? Because that is part of making this change. Like, you can't just act surprised when this stuff is on an Instagram post in front of you and you're forced to look at it because you're at home and you've been home for the past three months. Like there were times when you had a social life, you had tests to worry about, you had things to focus on and we conveniently planned and marketed our meetings and the attendance wasn't there, you know? So like anyone listening, like take, I don't know what the future of SOC looks like, but you have to take this past Instagram, past Twitter, past social media and like listen to real stories that have been shared and we've like made ourselves open through the town hall and stuff so just to take advantage of that and not act surprised when it does happen because we're not trying to hide it I think my only takeaway would be like I really hope in the future there's a space for people who wanted that social life and had that hole in their lives but I hope that WashU eventually does not have to have people run to Greek life and be complicit in a system that's so foundationally problematic. I don't even know foundationally is the word. But I think that <laughs> people have to look at that hole and almost also look at why people feel like they need to sacrifice things that they believe in to possibly join and like lean on that crutch. I think that that crutch needs to be looked at and examined And I hope that in the future, like incoming freshmen have that inclusive and equitable space that like people can then meet anyone that they please and like have a more like beneficial first year, second year, all the years. Mm -hmm. I hope for that. Yeah, Um, I think those are both great points. Another thing is just like having the discussions about it and like 
passing that information along, like if um, WPA does decide reform over abolition, because we like, because turnaround is so quick and like new PCs come in or pledge classes, if you don't know what PC is, because they come in every spring, it can like a lot of messages get lost in that, like in that time. And so it's so important to have these ongoing discussions and not just talk about it when it's time for recruitment or when it's trending on Instagram, like it needs to be an ongoing conversation. Yeah, well, thank you so, so much, you guys, for joining us. Um, I found this really insightful. And so I feel like a lot That's of other people, yeah. I feel like a lot of people <laughs> will listening this will really enjoy this conversation. And I really appreciate all of you guys for being here. Um, Thanks but, for having us. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for what you do with this podcast. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, so to our listeners, we just want to invite you guys to continue the conversation. Um, please share this with your friends. Um, your family, that uncle third removed. <laughs> and <laughs> everyone's racist uncle. <laughs> right. And um, <laughs> we do have an Instagram page. We have a website. Shout out to Catherine Jew. Go, Kat. Yeah. <laughs> Please leave your thoughts there, leave your comments, DM us, whatever that may be. Um, ask us questions. We just want to be able to keep this conversation going. And so if we can be of service to you guys and help you, um, you know, continue that dialogue, we want to be there for you. So thank you guys again. Thank you to Gabby, Caitlin, and Brianna. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> you guys just listened to the narrative. New episodes are released every Monday at 5, 4 central. Next week's topic is intersectional environmentalism. Psych. Keep listening for part two. We didn't plan on recording it, but in light of Washi's town hall and Kyle's new decision, we decided to have the same people back, minus Gabby. Unfortunately, she couldn't make it. But Mia Hamrick, a town hall attendee, is here with us. Kind of just jumping into the conversation, just kind of having a debrief, like a chat. Asia and I used to like just sit down and lick it, Koenig, our little like freshman residential hall, at the end of every day and just be like, so what's going on? So that's what we're here to do today. So what's going on regarding Greek life? Kayo, any like immediate thoughts or just any take from like the town hall? It's a hot mess. <laughs> I guess like, I'm just sitting here like, what is going on and how do we get like a hold of it? Asia and I weren't able to be on, like we didn't watch the town hall, but we did go back. Well, I, I watched it just not. Oh, okay. like I watched Dang. it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch it. Sorry. Um, but I read the transcript and I've also been paying attention like to a lot of things going on in social media. And I know Mia, like you were, um, you watched it first around. So what kind of yes. like your, what, what are you feeling right now? Like what's up? Oh my goodness. Um, well, speaking from the perspective of someone who's been at WashU for three years now, I mm -hmm. think the only other time I can recall students being as upset about Greek life as they are now is my freshman year in the fall or the spring of 2018, um, leading to the events of the founding of Title IX. Um, but even then, I don't think that was as extreme as it is now. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah. I wasn't super happy with admin's response. Yeah, so they were, that, like, because they were really 
definitive in the fact that they will not be taking steps to abolish Greek life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I kind of struggled with was this idea that they were very adamant about wanting to listen to students and it being like this collaborative conversation. Um, but how do you achieve both when there's been so many students calling for abolition and like heavy, heavy changes being done to Greek life or just completely dismantling it entirely? So, I don't know. <laughs> my thing is, at least, because right after the town hall, my friend like went to social media and she was saying all this stuff and I saw it on her story and I'm like, hold up, let me call her because this doesn't seem right. It basically seems like Washu's being like super complicit and about this and they're putting a lot of the work, they're pushing a lot of the work back onto the students. Is that kind of the vibe that you guys got? Because I know there's so many perspectives like coming into this. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I haven't been able to watch it yet actually. I've been pretty busy, but um, from what I've heard, um, it's been a lot of like watching just kind of like, okay, brainstorm some things. What do you want to happen? <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, we've already, there's like Instagram pages about abolition and people are talking about these things. So it just kind of feels like they're just, the town hall is really just to get people to think like, okay, Washi's doing something, but yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. very performative. And I guess I wanted to ask you, Caitlin, cause I know the, in the first time that we talked, I know you were a little bit on the fence between reform and abolition. And I know that you've also been very active in the past, like before all of this went down about trying to reform Greek life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know you said you haven't watched it yet, but I know that you like you've heard kind of feedback from it. Does this at all change your or like reduce your optimism and and how you feel Greek life might be able to be reformed? I definitely think so. Um, I just feel like every like second that passes, I'm heading more towards abolition. I feel like last time I was more like, okay, maybe there's hope, but like. I just feel like every time I go on social media, there's always another story, another experience. And like, some of them surprise me because like, yes, I know that Greek life is a predominantly white space and things happen, but I guess I just haven't, I've been fortunate enough that like super, like, I don't want to say aggressive, but aggressive for lack of a better word, like very overt things, um, I think have gone under the radar that I didn't realize because I just haven't experienced them. Um, Mm -hmm. And so now hearing about them from people who have deactivated and now that they're on the abolishment pages, it just like really drains me. And I'm like, okay, I think I just need to take a step away. Like, and I just think I've really come to realize like how horrible the whole system is. And like, I just think reform I just think the way that Greek life is set up is people come in and out so often because we're only at WashU for four years. So like really how much change can happen that is going to make an impact and last over time because you know, you never know like what students are coming in, what their mindset is, how they feel about it and if they're going to carry it on. So I just don't feel like reform is really realistic at this point. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to push you because I know like you were on the fence <laughs> last time. I was like, I don't want you to like, I don't want it to be on record, like voice record. Oh, right. All abolition, like there's no coming back from this. Yeah, we don't want to force that on you, but we do. Like we wanted to know what you thought. But yeah, Asia, you had something to follow up with. Yeah, 
Well, one of the, well, I was telling Samantha about this. Um, I felt like a lot of the questions were either answered by Rob Wilde or, oh, what was her name? Kamara? Oh. I don't know. Uh-oh, we got to Google it. What was her name? Kawana. Her name was yes. Kawana. I felt like a lot of the questions were answered by them too. I have, I take issue with, the, I don't know. I was telling Samantha that I feel like WashU's administrators are so, like, lack so much diversity that yeah. the fact that so many of these questions are being answered by a black woman. I know I went to the Juneteenth mm-hmm. protest and like we got to Chancellor Martin's house and she was like, uh, Chancellor Martin's not here. I'm like, I just feel like they're just sending black people to kind of appease students, but whatever. That's to be the off face, to like yeah. calm people down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but I guess my question was, was so Rob Wilde mentioned something on the town hall. He said like that this is about systems that are causing harm and kind of asking how do we break down those systems. And I guess my question is if you recognize that this is about this issue is about harmful systems and you recognize that the need to break down these systems how can you both how can you do that and reform like isn't breaking down a Mm -hmm. system inherently mean abolition like you can't break down a system if you're reforming within the confines of it um and so i don't know that town hall was just frustrating i feel like they were saying a lot of nothing just Mm -hmm. kind of talking in circles that's the whole thing with um like, is that system somehow representative to what WashU is as a whole, like as a university, like just what WashU is and the values. I mean, like, I won't even say values because I would like to believe that their values are better than like what they're portraying. But basically like what WashU is portraying, is that just showing up in Greek life? Like is Greek life just an extension to like how inclusive um, and kind of harmful uh, the WashU campus environment has been? Like, so maybe that's, you know, maybe it's like they're just protecting themselves in some sense because they would realize, oh, I got to look at myself. Like, maybe it's not only Greek life. Maybe we're not doing things right. And my biggest thing is like, okay, the, okay, the university is obviously not owning up to that, right? Like in the town hall, they didn't own up to it, own up to that. So Mm -hmm. what do like we as students and especially member, like, I know everybody here is not a member of Greek life or they haven't had Greek um, affiliations. So I'll ask this in two different ways. What do people in Greek life currently, what do they need to do? What approach do they need to take or should take? I guess we can't force anybody to do anything. And then those people that aren't in Greek life, like what is our job in this? Because Asia and I aren't in Greek life and we feel like our job is to like just put pressure um, Mm -hmm. on those who have power and have the ability to take real action in this. So like, what do you guys, I I guess like, what do you guys think? I'm throwing that out there. I mean, I think that, like, students need to, like, listen to that and hear adults acknowledging that the system that they're helping, like, continue is something that they even know is a problem. And when it comes, like, to it, like, the adults want to keep their jobs. They want to keep these systems in place where alumni are graduating. They're donating back to watch. They have ulterior motives. And I think people from within Greek life need to look at that and be like, there are so many people that are showing the signs that this is not something that anyone should be a part of. Like the only reasons they want this to stay is material and like their 
what they want to look like to other universities. They don't want students having some kind of strong voice that would then overpower them prioritizing their own institution. Like it shows a lot of character. And I think people within Greek life who are either on the fence or are for abolition should use that town hall and hearing those type of, you know, what you pointed out, basically saying they see a problem and they're not going to do anything about it. Like people that were in Greek life, like that's a huge, huge red flag. If I can add on to that, um, this is coming from the perspective of someone who has never been involved in Greek life. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought that um, they were trying to acknowledge the discrimination that occurred, particularly at the beginning of the town hall, which is why I found their responses even more bewildering. Um, I actually have my notes right here from the meeting. Oh, yeah, and just spill. Like, they, it's whatever. <laughs> yeah, they, they fully... I was very confused and startled when they were openly acknowledging the hurt and I think they even specifically referenced the um, Black at Washu post that started everything and that in particular really confused me and angered me because if they are saying yes this happened and it's horrible then why hasn't anything occurred to the perpetrator and why hasn't anything occurred to anyone else Um, so again as someone who isn't involved in Greek life all uh, and as someone with the privilege of having white skin, um, I see myself in a position where I can do emotional labor and try to connect with people who are on the fence or have perhaps never listened to a different perspective and tell them, hey, you need to wake up because this isn't how it is for everyone. Going to also, yeah, you're good, you can go. I was just saying something you said made me think about the idea that everyone keeps saying you know, we're going to hold ourselves accountable and we're going to listen. I think people are saying the word listen with a very different definition than that. Yes, no, I thought about this yesterday. (laughs) Go ahead. Yes. (laughs) When people say they're like, no, we want to listen to these communities. I'm like, well, they're saying something very specific, yet nothing's being done that goes Mm -hmm. along with that. So if people don't want to listen and actually take accountability, like, don't say that you know it's it's something that I keep hearing like the term listen I'm like we're not doing that like I I'm kind of just a loss I know Mia you were when I called my friend she um was like this girl Mia when she talked during the town hall her points were just like they were on point I hate that I said that but that's just what they were um this corner like you can't edit that out can you no you can't um So, like, I just wanted, I understand that you're saying, like, you come from a place of, like, privilege, and it's good that you're using your voice in this. So what is, is there any way that you can go, like, what advice do you have to go even beyond your voice? Like, what kind of actions can be, can happen? Like, what can occur? Like, what can you do? Um, On an individual basis? on an individual base, but I guess especially like when we get back onto campus, because right. like, we're in quarantine yeah. and we're away from each other, like what kind of things do you see like happening or what do you think um, is going to be important to do when we get back on campus? I think absolutely continuing to have these conversations, um, especially, honestly, I, again, as someone who is coming from outside Greek life, I don't have the same network as people who have decided this system needs to go. Um, and have since deactivated or otherwise, I don't have the same network and connection to these people that you do. And you're in a position where you have more credibility and social capital than I do. And 
you have mobility in that sense. You can speak to people, you can access them, you know who the people are that need to have these conversations. I can post as much as I want on social media about offering to have conversations and set up phone calls. But if I don't know someone personally, or they just feel like they don't want to reach out to me because they don't know me, and I'm just someone who doesn't fully understand because of my lack of um, experience with Greek life, then it's not going to happen. So I think that's something really unique that can be done by people who were previously in Greek life that they aren't always realizing is um, super powerful. That's a really good point. And also within that, like what I was thinking of, you're kind of talking about like, there, of course, there has to be unification, because if we want to end up like on the other side of this, we're going to have to come together. And especially if we want a healthy like community environment and um, kind of atmosphere on campus. Um, I guess something that came up to me or that I thought of when you were talking about that is like, does there need to be some sort of like mass deactivation kind of like is that the only way that we're going to be able to well yeah because this is what i was was talking about samantha like on the town hall rob wild was talking about like the relationship between nationals and the university um because they were like we're not abolishing but (laughs) (laughs) that, that students were calling for abolition and like a bunch of students were deactivating from their chapters like we're not going to turn a blind eye to our students Mm-hmm. But also, like, there are people like Brianna who did, in fact, deactivate. And I'm just like, what number do you have to get to for you to say abolish? But, like, I guess that is a valid question. Like, from people who are within Greek life, like, could we just ask them, hey, like, if you're really saying that you're serious about supporting people of color, the LGBT community, like, survivors of sexual assault, if you're really serious about that, deactivate from your chapter because that's the only way that the university is going to consider abolition. Is that reasonable to ask of people? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that one thing um, in terms of how the administration would view this problem would be vastly different if there was zero people in every chapter Um, that would put more pressure on them to understand that if there's no one in the chapters, there's no reason they need to have communication with charters from nationals and continue it. So I think that mass deactivation is actually super important because Mm -hmm. it needs to almost be so radical that the administration is like, oh, there's no one who wants this. Like I see it now. Um, But I think that's something that's hard to ask right now, just because there's people who are even before reform, I'd say like, who don't think anything should even be changed. So there's, I guess, a lot to go through to get there but I think mass deactivation seems like um a short-term goal isn't that easy though what do you mean by a lot to get like to or do you mean like just like convincing people is that what you're saying yeah, because like even even Kayo, like I think maybe maybe 85 percent of the chapter or something like that deactivated but there was still mm-hmm. that the, the group of people who would not let go, you know what I mean? We had to have it. <laughs> like, okay, like, are you guys just going to stay in the chapter or, like, what's the pull then to be 10 people in a chapter? So I think getting to zero would be huge. Right. I feel like that says a lot about y'all. If Not y'all <laughs> on this call. But if you're yeah. staying in your chapter and there's, like, 20 of y'all, like, like y'all, and you're like, we yeah. want friendships, we want community. Like, no, you didn't. 
There's 15 of y'all. What are you doing? But I digress. That's going to the power trip (laughs) that you were talking about, Caitlin, last time. Like, that's at least that's how I read it. Right. This is just me. Mm -hmm. It's a personal opinion. Mm -hmm. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, like, um, something that was interesting that you were saying that it needs to be a mass um, deactivation and that that may be take a long time, which I think is something else that was mentioned in the town hall, how people, how the university was like, this is going to take a really long time, guys. Like, I don't know. Like, is that just like a front? Like what? Absolutely. Like it's when, why is it, why is it going to take so long? That's what I'm trying to, anybody, Mm -hmm. the floor is open. Please explain it. If you, if you look at, when in history has an institution ever said, yes, we are going to uh, provide you with this change that you're asking? Like this, in my opinion, it's a way to um, discourage people who are organizing for this and a really effective one, in my opinion, particularly on side of um, those still in Greek life who are on the fence. Because I think a lot of people are really getting tied up in um, either the process, how do we even accomplish this to begin with? Mm-hmm. Or how do we even begin to construct what after looks like? And personally, I don't think that's what the focus should be on. I think you should leave that to the people who have already decided they're going to organize. They shouldn't worry about that for now. For now, they need to decide whether this is the right thing to do or not. It's as simple as that. You shouldn't worry about how difficult something is if it's the thing that needs to be done. That's huge. I think something that I, and that you just automatically get pulled into because everybody is talking about the after, you too try to think about the after, yeah. even though like, I, I know me, like I'm just pro abolition, but I'm also thinking about, dang, like these kids are calling for like, you know, they still want a space where they can associate. Um, but what I think automatically is, I haven't been in Greek life. Um, I've still been able to associate with a lot of mm-hmm. people. So I just don't, I don't know. I don't think, I don't, I don't think that even needs to be a conversation, whether like we get this done or not. Like it's college. It, there's a ton of people on campus. And like you, you guys go to class. The bubble. Shocking yeah. that we all have friends. Like you're, you're going to find friends, even if you're like the most shy, like socially awkward person, there's going to be somebody like that. And not mm-hmm. to like down that, but there's going to be somebody like that. Like that's, you're going to find somebody like, I don't even know. I don't know. I just find myself being like super empathetic, like towards those people, but then trying not to get pulled so much into that. I think that's like easy to do. I think you're right. Like we do just need to focus on um, the problematic things that have been pointed out and how we're going to address that. We're like five minutes into like our almost stopping point. I, so I don't just any points you guys had um or that you wanted to bring up i'm gonna let you guys talk if you just like anything yeah you said go bring you can go oh i don't know if there was much but i think it's really interesting on the topic of like performative activism that kayo felt the need to so quickly make the statement that turned out to not be something they could do like that's kind of why the time of this like on a chapter sense, like, I think it's worth giving them time to, like, really, really understand what they can do. Um, and I know that different chapters are trying to figure out how to proceed, but by Kayo saying that they could just, I guess, like, get rid of themselves on the campus, like, poof, I think that 
is a harming it's a harmful way to explain it because now people who read that are thinking they were deceived and i don't think that this is a time to be saying things quickly that you may not be able to follow through i think it's about giving thought and being sure and trying to get the best level of understanding that you can help the movement like that makes me wonder how like real that first post was you know it was like oh we're deactivating guys we have realized and learned from realized that there's some problems like did you really realize (laughs) right like because you came right back like did you really take it in like did you understand back to what we were saying before did you not only listen but did you understand and I think mostly that was on a national level in terms of like I think Mm -hmm. majority of the people within that chapter were leaving in order to make it clear that they didn't want to be complicit and they want to then join the abolition or join any reform etc movement um but that nationals you know letter to people was so confusing now people think it's disbanded and it's not it's like just we need a clear <laughs> information <laughs> i feel like what that conveyed to me was i think the intent was there to answer what people were calling for. They just were not prepared for the institutional roadblocks that would greet them. Um, exactly. So I think it was it was just a really big wake-up call for all of us that um, this is going to be more difficult than what we might have anticipated. Um, but I don't I don't necess- I don't want to assume that there was malintent. I would hope that there isn't. Um, I would put that more on nationals. So I'm hopeful that they will still find a way to follow through with what they um, committed to doing and mm-hmm. writing. So I guess we'll just see what happens. Yeah. Not to, was not trying to bash Kyle. Just wanted to. <laughs> just wanted to put that out there. I got you. I got yeah. you. Um, kind of along those lines, I remember I was talking to my mom about this a while ago. How um, because I, this is kind of outdated news now, but we were something was happening in our chapter group me where um at some point they were like maybe I think it might have been our nationals don't quote me on this but someone was saying that even if like every member in our chapter deactivated they could still bring out a representative to like bring Mm -hmm. new people into the chapter and I was telling my mom about that because I was so upset by that and I was like how can you just like ignore the fact that everybody's deactivating and bring in new people and my mom was like honey, these institutions have been around for like hundreds of years. They know how to survive. They know how to thrive and like have their presence remain. And so then I was like, dang, that's true. Like, I don't know why I didn't think about that, but they have all this power and like probably have it written into their charters or like something that allows them to, you know, expand and grow and continue to survive as an institution. Yeah, that's why I also feel like it's like, even the members sometimes want different things from their nationals but the fact that like similar to WashU administration like they claim they want to listen but then if the chapters of if the members of a chapter are saying one thing and the nationals are like oh we're taking that into consideration like that's a whole different like how do you then move forward with that it's so like locked in they feel must feel locked in right nationals said boo boo we don't care about you all right we're, i don't want to we like i said guys like to our listeners we know you guys or at least we hope you listened to the first 60 minutes part one to this and we didn't want to make this too long 
we're airing up on 30 minutes um is airing up the word I don't know you guys can that's not the word we're coming up on 30 minutes (laughs) um so just like if you guys want to interject or have anything else to say I'm gonna open this up right here last thing and then I might close no, listen good. to your listen to your peers and open up the conversation beyond your own chapter and center marginalized voices in what comes next. That's my big takeaway. And going off that, I would say don't be discouraged by bigger institutions that are trying mm-hmm. to scare people. Like stay fast, stay whatever, stay strong in what you believe and what you want because they're going to scare you. Yeah, and going off of that, I think like. Prior to this, I feel like I've been so easily influenced about, like, oh, I reform is possible. Like, I've just been too hopeful. And so I think, like, taking a stand and, like, understanding, like, like um, Mia was saying, listening to marginalized voices, truly understanding them. I think that's the key out of this whole conversation. Understand. Do not – please stop saying we hear you, we listen to you, because at the end of the day, you don't. And that is the tea. Mm-hmm. That's the tea? That's <laughs> yeah. the tea. <laughs> I was going to say something else, but we'll leave it at that. That's the team, guys. <laughs> well, thanks, guys, for coming on. Um, Mia, I know it was a short combo, but we appreciate you coming on. And also, we appreciate mm-hmm. what you said during the town hall. Um, yes, I know you. a lot of people echoed um, how important it was that you spoke out, amongst other people that mm-hmm. aren't even on this, but just to you. I just want to say thank you. Um, it sounded like you guys did some cool things. Brianna and Caitlin, we love you guys, and hopefully we can get together on campus. Caitlin, I hope you're coming on campus. <laughs> I know we talked about this. Bleak, but, you know, it's okay. <laughs> Shoot, I think I might just go online. Like, I'll be in St. Louis, but I'm going to go online. Um, but thank you guys for listening. This is part two. Asia, say something. Yeah, you're welcome. Oh, she's for listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. <laughs>